This episode is brought to you by my program and guide, Yoga Mama Journey, Journey to a Happy and Healthy Pregnancy and Baby. Navigating pregnancy can be so transformative in the best possible ways, but it can also feel overwhelming at times. I've put together a program and guide that will help you to alleviate some of that guesswork and be in great shape, mind and body for when baby comes into your world. This program contains prenatal workouts, prenatal yoga flows, prenatal Pilates, affirmations for pregnancy, pregnancy supplement checklist, baby registry checklist, hospital bag checklist, and additional resources. You can use the link in the show notes to access the Yoga Mama Journey, Journey to a Happy and Healthy Pregnancy and Baby Program and Guide. Welcome to Balance Your Life Podcast. My name is Megan Farrell and I am the host of the show. This podcast is designed to inspire and empower you to start and maintain your own wellness journey so you can become the best version of yourself. Let's begin. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Balance Your Life Podcast. I am your host, Megan Farrell Gordon, and today we have an episode which doesn't lose the irony for me today because this episode is all about navigating life as a new parent, birthing tips, feeding tips, those first few nights and few weeks of being a new parent, and ironically, I was editing this podcast episode the day I was in labor with Hendrix. So that is super, super wild to me. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Ashley Cooley. Ashley is a mom of three girls and the owner and operator of Birth Baby Sleep. She has a master's degree in health promotion and started her career working in the mental health nonprofit sector. Ashley teaches prenatal classes and has completed trainings as a certified childbirth educator, certified child sleep consultant, certified child passenger safety technician, new parent educator, and in the field of maternal mental health. She has a passion to support growing families, help others feel less alone, and to get some sleep. On this episode, we talk about tips for giving birth, what to expect in the delivery room or at home, navigating the first few nights and weeks with baby, feeding tips and tricks, and so much more. With that, please welcome the lady who helped me sleep train Hendrix, the lady who taught Brad and I about everything to do with prenatal classes and being new parents. Please help me welcome Ashley Cooley to the Balance Your Life show. I've always been super mindful of the products I put on my body as well as in my body. And when I got pregnant, I wanted to make sure I was taking everything I needed to support my pregnancy, which included taking a quality prenatal vitamin, and I chose Ritual to support me on my journey. What I really liked about the brand and their vitamin is that it's high quality 
and uses traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. It's also non-GMO project verified, soy-free, gluten-free, and vegan. It also has a citrus enhanced capsule that's designed to be easy on the stomach so you can take it with or without food. Please note these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think it's so important to build a foundation while creating life and to ensure I'm getting the right nutrients matters to me. Right now, Ritual is giving all Balance Your Life podcast listeners 10% off your first three months by going to ritual.com forward slash Megan. That's ritual.com forward slash M-E-G-H-A-N for 10% off your first three months. Welcome to the show, Ashley. I'm so excited to have you on. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me. I would love if you could give a little bio of who you are and where in the world you are currently joining me from today. Sure. My name is Ashley Cooley. I'm currently joining you from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Um, but a little bit about me. I've, I'm from New Brunswick originally. I moved to Nova Scotia, always had a love for Nova Scotia, but came here for university and just kind of never left. Met my husband here. We have three kids. Um, and just been on this journey of birth, babies and sleep for the last eight ish years or so. But, uh, my background's actually in health promotion. Um, I trained as a, a, in bachelor of science and a master's in health promotion and have been facilitating groups and just being able to, the cool thing about health promotion is that you can kind of work yourself in any kind of topic, any kind of issue. Um, and it was awesome when I found all this stuff around birth and prenatal and education. And it's just really been an exciting ride. So I'm excited to get to do it. So a little context, Brad and I took your labor and delivery classes past Saturday. And I was like, right away, I was like, I have to have this girl on the podcast. This is amazing. And I know a little bit about why you got into this. But What led you into wanting to work specifically in the prenatal and postnatal sense? Like why Mm -hmm. birth, baby, and sleep? What led you down this path? Uh, A few things, actually. So given that my background's in health promotion and I really get a kick out of like facilitating groups and working with groups and education and all that kind of stuff, um, it, it felt like a natural fit, but it all started actually, I was previously working in the nonprofit sector in mental health. And uh, I was pregnant with my second child at the time. And I remember hearing on the radio on my way to work that our public health system here in Nova Scotia was going to stop offering free prenatal classes to everybody. And I had taken those prenatal classes before my first child. And I, I can just remember thinking, like, what's going on? Like, what? why are we taking away something so important, so vital? Like, where else are we supposed to get this information now? And, and not being able to learn in groups. So they were switching their model to an online system, where you could take a course online and at home. And again, I'm just like, you got to learn in groups, there's so much value in learning in groups, and to have somebody, a person to speak to and ask questions rather than just Google. Um, So 
I immediately remember thinking like, somebody's got to do something about this. I would love to try to do something about this, but I'm about to have another baby. So now is just not the right time. Fast forward probably six or seven months later, I because we were a nonprofit, and at the time, it was a little bit dicey with funding. And so I was on my maternity leave and my boss called me on my birthday, actually, and said, happy birthday, Ashley. Also, by the way, when you come back to work in another few months, you might only have a job for another month because we lost our funding. So I was like, okay, that's nice. But at the same time, it didn't really hit me like a ton of bricks because if I'm being totally honest, for the last couple of years in that position, while it's very important work, it wasn't the work that I felt really tied to. And so I had been looking for other things and just having a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do. So uh, shorten the story a little bit. When when like the threat of not having a job was there, we ended up getting funding for another year. So it all worked out. But um, the threat of it wasn't there. I was like, okay, now I really got to figure this out. Through lots of networking, I met a public health nurse who had the same feelings as myself about the uh, province not offering their classes anymore. She herself had taught the classes with public health for 20 years or so. And she was wanting to try to get a business going and starting her own classes. And uh, through networking, we met and I was like, excited about it. And I thought, well, this doesn't seem like it's going to replace my full time job. But it's really important work. And I would love to help see what we can do. And so she had all the material and information and stuff like that from previous public health classes and needed help like getting people in. And I'm like, well, I happen to know a few pregnant people and I'm on Facebook. So let's just see what we can do. And that was almost eight years ago. So uh, it all started with me teaching prenatal classes with a public health nurse. And then things just started falling into place and making sense. When I had had my first daughter, she's the one that made me want to become a sleep consultant at the time. And this was 10 years ago. Like she's 10 years old now. And their Instagram wasn't what, what it is now. Um, I was like looking for help with sleep and I had no idea where to go. I think I maybe, maybe found one sleep consultant in Ontario, but it was more just about like what my friends were doing and how could they help me figure things out. So there's just like not, not enough info for me to like grab onto and hang onto and that I felt like was working for me. So whenever I feel that way, I just want to dive deep into it and learn more. And so once I started teaching prenatal classes, I became a certified childbirth educator. So I took special training to actually be certified in that. And then it just kind of made more sense. Well, now I'm talking to families about their newborn sleep in a prenatal class. Maybe now's a good time to get training in that too. So I took some training with Family Sleep Institute to become a, a certified child sleep consultant. I ended up doing more in terms of being a certified child passenger safety technician, which is a fancy word for saying a car seat tech. So we help people install car seats and um, check their seats if they've been installed safely. Uh, New parent educator. So I just constantly am grabbing onto trainings and things in the birth, baby and sleep world because there is a lack of information, good information and a lack of resources and just a general lack of community in this very pivotal time. Like this isn't like, we're not just learning how to crochet, nothing against crocheting. It's cool. Um, But this is life, like literally, and there's just not enough support out there. So I just think it's a travesty. (laughs) I think it's annoying as hell. (laughs) So I try to do whatever I can 
um, and building community and trying to find um, or just ways to disseminate all this information that I now have and I want to share it with other people. No, I think what you are doing is just absolutely incredible and amazing. And to me, it's like, yes, it's there is some information out there. But I remember even like my mom and saying, oh, like, oh, do you guys do like Lamaze classes or anything? And I'm like, I don't even think that's a a mm. thing anymore. And to me, it's wild that like we have some resources for prenatal. But even when you think of like that postnatal period, like I have some girlfriends, I feel like I'm the last of my friends to have a baby. And that was the one thing they kept saying. It was like, at least with prenatal, there's some stuff out there and there's some doctors that like will talk to you about things. But like that postnatal period, like they, they just like throw you under the bus and it's just like, yeah, figure it out. Like, and you're like, this seems like a very important thing to not only do and I know people say things like well you know back in the day you know we didn't have all this information and it's like no but back in the day you had communities that would your village one baby together it wasn't like Mm -hmm. nowadays where I feel like a lot of us are just so isolated or we're just so like overwhelmed by things yeah and we don't know where to go to get that information um I I love doctors they're super helpful people to have in your on your team and your healthcare team. But here in Canada and here in Nova Scotia, like you don't get a pediatrician specific for your baby that has specific, a lot of specific training for babies. Uh, you have your GP and they get a little bit of training in breastfeeding, but it's like one afternoon in their seven years of training. Um, and so they do there are some places we can go to get like a little bit of info and, and reassurance and maybe, but it really comes down to a lot of, we need to advocate for ourselves. We need to go out and find this stuff ourselves because we're not given kind of a pamphlet or anything to say, this is where you're going to get all your resources and help and support. So it is, it is a big travesty in my opinion and more needs to be done. So we're always just over at birth baby sleep doing whatever we can to, to uh, support that. Because like you said, there's just not enough in the postpartum period for sure. Yeah. And before we get into questions, I'd like to put a PSA out there for anyone in Nova Scotia. I had wanted to do a home birth and I was told there's like five midwives in Nova Scotia and like like you're you're probably bottom of the list for this so I was like what do you mean there's like five midwives in Nova Scotia like I feel like we need more of them out here so just a little PSA if anyone's inspired by that definitely and and I think there's a bit of a movement on that on that front because more and more we're seeing that like hey they could be and really they, we should all, if we could all have a midwife, if we could all have a doula, if we could all have those people that are really specialized, not that OBGYNs aren't there, they are, but it's just a bit of a different kind of support that I think everybody could use some of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm so excited to dive into so many different topics. I would love to know, even before we talk about like labor and delivery, because I know that's what you specialize in. What are things that we can do during pregnancy that will help set us up for, I don't want to say like an optimal labor and delivery, but like things that'll like work in our favor when we get to that point. Mm. Uh, Whether it's leaning up to or being in the moment, relaxation, 
<laughs> that sounds like an oxymoron when we're talking labor and delivery and relaxation, but that is the name of the game. You all during your pregnancy, you're holding strong and you're carrying a baby and your pelvic floor in particular is carrying and holding all of that extra weight. And during labor and delivery, you want to be able to relax it. We need a relaxed pelvic floor so that baby can get out. So finding ways to learn how to breathe deeply, just connect with your breath and being in tune with maybe your pelvic floor as well. So I definitely promote pelvic floor physiotherapy in pregnancy, um, postpartum. That has been a really growing resource around here in the last couple of years, which I've been excited to see because, um, well, I think it's in France, actually, everybody gets a pelvic floor physiotherapist when they have a baby. And it's like, here's somebody, here's an extra support. And that's another place or people that I think could be are really helpful. And so we have pelvic floor uh, physiotherapists come to our prenatal classes as well to talk about that and that relaxation, because it's really, really key. I think getting good information ahead of time to know what to expect in your upcoming labor and delivery is going to be really helpful because while everyone's going to have a different experience, um, it's important to kind of have an idea of what, what experience might you find yourself in? What could this all look like for you? Um, And so having an idea of what that's like and an honest discussion about that, which is what I try to pride myself on in our prenatal classes is just being really, I don't sugarcoat anything. I give like the actual information and try to give as much as possible. So good information, learning how to relax and just building your support system for yourself for when you are uh, going to be a new parent or have a new baby in your house. What are the supports that you are going to need after and planning that ahead of time? So are you going to want to go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist? Do you need to uh, get in touch with a lactation consultant? Um, Are you maybe needing a therapist because you're very emotional or things are very different and you just need to talk things out? So it's trying to line people up and uh, knowing who's out there and who you can access during those times of need. So that planning can be so helpful in the pregnancy stage, just to ease some of the stress that can come in the moment. Yeah, no, that was the one thing I remember saying to my husband, Brad, after we took your class was like, I just felt so empowered. And I've been in this phase of like, there's, and like not wanting to consume so much information that you feel so overwhelmed by it. But like you said, just knowing different options and different things that are going to happen during this time, because that is the one thing I know my mom had said was, you know, when she was having me, everyone says it's like so magical and it's so like incredible and you're just going to love the baby so much. And she's like, like that part was like nice, but like, she's like, nobody told me the nitty gritty of like, being in labor and she had some complications and she's like, I kind of wish I had known not to like freak me out or to like scare me or anything, but just to know what -hmm. are some potential things that like might happen. And like, what are things that like will actually like go on during this time? Yeah, exactly. And knowing where your role is at too, because, because most people don't have, a midwife or a doula or an extra support that knows the labor and delivery process with them, it it can be kind of surprising to realize that like it 
it's kind of on you. If you are going to want to be active in your labor and try different positions to stay comfortable uh, and to progress your labor and what can your partner do at the hospital while they support that, they're not telling you to do it or they're not helping you with that. Oh, did you know that your partner can do this double hip squeeze? And maybe if you're standing up and walking around or if you just lay in the bed, you're just going to lay in the bed and things will happen. So a lot of that, what happens in the labor and delivery room is the onus is on those, the pregnant person, the people that are coming in to say like, this is what we're kind of looking for. So if you don't have a heads up about that, you end up typically showing up at the hospital, like what I did with my first two labor and deliveries when I wasn't a childbirth educator and I didn't have this knowledge or background or things that we could do to support the labor. I just showed up and put on the Johnny shirts and laid in the bed and then just said, okay, well, you guys do this all day. So you'll tell me when something's going on. What's 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 going to happen next? What are we doing? And so you're taking all of the guidance from them, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Some people prefer that way. But I found such a stark difference from when I had my third. And I had been teaching prenatal classes for a few years. I didn't realize that I could use a TENS machine. And Again, the double hip squeeze, my partner could do this and that, and I could do this, that, and the other thing. And so the experience was quite different. Having that knowledge, previous experience probably helped with that as well, no question. But it was very different experience when I knew more and how to support myself. And then I find that the team, the nurses and stuff, they they get in on that. They can sometimes help you out as if they see you doing things, but it's not like their primary job to get you up and moving and do the things. So you kind of have to take that on yourself. Well, it's like, even like I teach prenatal yoga and Pilates and, you know, it's, I think there used to be this kind of idea of like, oh, you're pregnant. Like you gotta, you gotta almost like baby yourself. Don't do too many strenuous things. And I'm not saying we're bench pressing a hundred pounds while we're pregnant and stuff, but I've always been under the impression, like, we're getting ready for like a a marathon, like, like labor is, there's, it's intense, you know, like, it's a, it's a marathon, we need to prepare the body to be able to handle that. And it would make sense that even during labor, like as much as you want to be relaxed and stuff, you don't want to just be not doing anything, because I feel like that won't help get baby out. Right? Yeah. So it's about where your partners can help out. What can you do? And what is going to help you relax? Like, is it music? Uh, the power of music in labor is huge because that can take us to places <laughs> we want to be. And having knowing that you have a support system that knows how to support you, again, not just with my own knowledge and going into my third labor, but ha- having my partner know exactly where to put the hands and what to do and how to support while I'm having contractions how he shouldn't try to talk to me during contractions, or I don't want a soft, gentle touch or massage, I will slap you. I've done that in other labor and deliveries. He tried to support when we didn't know what to do. He would come over and touch me gently and just like, I'm here for you. And I'm like, get out of here. Like, you can't help me. So just back off. Um, It was a totally different experience. So having support, knowing how to support yourself, having people there that can help support you in the right ways is so huge. I want to talk a little bit about, because you had brought up some things in labor and delivery class that I, I thought were really valid. And it's this idea of maybe like going through some common signs or maybe even unexpected signs that we may be in 
labor or going into labor because I didn't realize you know you had said like the movies it's like the water breaks they immediately go into labor and I knew it didn't happen quite like that but I also didn't necessarily realize that there could be such a lag time in between things so can you talk about maybe some common signs that we may be going into labor or we're in labor and maybe some more of those unexpected signs that we may be experiencing Yeah. Well, they call them like these positive signs of labor uh, and not that they're like there's positive or negative, but like signs that, okay, it's you're in labor, but then there's signs that like you're not in labor, but it's going to happen soon. (laughs) So and it's hard to say exactly when because we know everybody and every pregnancy is different. Um, But when it comes to thinking about, okay, what's going to happen when labor first starts, we tend to think the water breaks first, but actually it's only about one in 10 or one in 12, depending on the study, that that is the first sign. And uh, only one in 10 of those one in 10, is it like the gush, like pop and here's all the water, the amniotic fluid on your pants on the floor. So that's what we typically see in movies, but it's a very small percentage of people that actually that will be their first sign. And particularly the gush of fluid, oftentimes when your water breaks, it's actually up higher in your uterus. Um, and or in on the amniotic sac. And so it tends to come down a little bit slower. It could be more like a trickle. We talk about how there's increased pressure on your perineal area as baby's getting lower towards the end of your pregnancy. We all have to get up and pee a couple of times a night. So it it's actually quite common that you might wake up in the middle of the night, you're thinking you're going to go to the bathroom, but your underwear might be wet. And you're like, did I, did I already pee? Or is this something else? And so we talk about how you can collect that fluid. You can take it in. Somebody can check it. Somebody can see if it actually is amniotic fluid or not. But even then, you don't necessarily stay at the hospital because you're waiting for contractions. And so speaking of, contractions are the other thing that we hear about. So the water breaking slash contractions and contractions starting, usually it's pretty for for the most part. Again, every pregnancy and body and labor is different. But for the most part, it's kind of like a confusing time when things first start out because it's not like a, oh my gosh, something just started. It comes on so gradually, usually, that you might actually be experiencing some Braxton Hicks contractions right before the real ones. So we talked about in class how the Braxton Hicks contractions are the warm-up contractions that aren't causing changes to your cervix, but they really are a warm-up. And it's it's helping for the big event, but sometimes those Braxton Hicks contractions that are really random and stuff can turn into true labor. So it helps to time them. It helps to kind of see, is there any pattern here? Are they going to go away? Are they getting stronger? Um, but I reference in uh, prenatal classes. So I have three kids and even with my third child pregnant with my third child, five days past her due date, you would think when labor started. I had spontaneous labors with the other ones. Of course, I would know when it started. I even had a membrane sweep that day. So, so many things in the favor of this is going to be labor starting. But I was just sitting on the couch like, "Ah, I'm just kind of uncomfortable a little bit. And it would just kind of come and go. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a shower and just try to shake this off. I'm feeling kind of icky. Like it kind of starts out more vague like that. At least it did for me. And I know it does for a lot of people too, because then as things get moving, it gets stronger. They get close. And it seems like it's making a clicking a little bit more. But in the beginning, it's usually 
very slow and boring and kind of, you're not really sure what's going on. So um, anyways, but some back to your original question, some other things that will happen towards the end of your pregnancy is you lose your mucus plug. So that's always a fun thing to talk about in class because I show a picture and everyone wants to see that. Who doesn't? Um, but no, but really it's, it's an important piece because the mucus plug doesn't actually mean losing it and seeing it out of your body doesn't actually mean you're in labor unless you're also having contractions. So that's one of those signs that your mucus plug, which is plugging your cervix, um, but that doesn't allow anything to enter the uterus so that your baby won't have any infections or anything like that. It will eventually come out because your cervix is changing and opening and it's getting closer to that time. So, um, sometimes we notice it, sometimes we don't, but that could happen even like a few days or a week before labor. So there are some signs that are showing us that like, it's going to be starting soon, but the only really way to know that this is actual true labor is your water breaks, but you've started contractions. The contractions really are the key piece because sometimes the water breaks and contractions don't want to follow. So again, we talk about like when you're going to go to the hospital to get things checked out, Sometimes they'll keep you. Sometimes they'll send you back home. Uh, but going back home is not a bad thing because that's where we actually labor the best. Yeah, we had our doula here this morning and she was going through some stuff with, like that with us. And my husband is, he, he's going to do really well in the moment. But I feel like this lead up to it, he's like, maybe we can just camp outside of the hospital the week before your like your your due date is due and stuff like I'm I'm gonna have to be like going through things and then be like hey just say no like you know it's been a few hours because the moment it happens he's gonna be like get the bag yeah Yeah, get the doula like we're we're heading out the door and it's like babe like you you know this is this could be a while before things actually happen especially with the first Yeah, yes, exactly. And but partners are very commonly like that, because there's a lot on them um, that they may not realize, but like getting you to the hospital and just supporting you through that they want to be in the place where you're going to have your baby and they want to be around professionals, because they don't feel equipped to be the one to support you. So that's why we really cover a lot of those things in our class of like, where can they put their hands and what can they be doing to support you through all stages of your labor so that they're not freaking out so much because uh, they want to be supportive. And that's why like we haven't, uh, you would, we would have talked about this in class, but we have a whole handout just for the partners on what could be going on at this time and how can you be helpful and supportive? I know my own husband felt a whole lot better about our third delivery than, than the previous two, because the previous two, no joke, like he's sitting over here, and like, don't touch me because you don't like encouraging words. If you want, fine. I'm not listening to it. Not like, it's just, I couldn't handle anything except what was going on. And unless somebody had some kind of help for me. And so the third time we're going into labor delivery room, I was like, honey, I've got stuff for you to do. We're going to practice at home. We're going to bring all this stuff. And I'm not laying in the bed. If I can help it, you're going to be here doing this with me. And he felt a whole lot better knowing how he could support me through that than just kind of sitting back and watching things happen. So the partners can be a little bit on edge for, or a lot on edge, but all the more reason that you're, both of you are getting this education information. And I'm sure a lot of that is helping him too. Like you said, internally in the moment, he'll probably be cool, calm, and collected. 
I would love to know you like stimulate labor. You had mentioned being like really active when we start to feel those first signs maybe of labor. And what are things that we should be avoiding to help, like to maybe slow it down or things that we're doing that it's like, probably don't be doing this. This is not an ideal thing to be doing when things are starting. Mm, so when labor has started and you're in early labor. Yes. So actually you might feel like you want to be active because that nesting instinct is so real. It sometimes is like happening while you're in early labor. Like for myself with my first, I like cleaned my whole house in early labor. So I'm like, oh, there's going to be people visiting soon. Like got to get ready. And that was the dumbest thing to do. That was the dumbest thing to do because I should have been resting as much energy as I had in those moments. I should have been resting, preparing for the later part where you're going to need a lot of your energy. So I really promote when if you're feeling well and you're at home laboring and and things are, like I said, feeling well, you're going well. Um, I think it's important to eat something because you're not going to feel like it later and you want to keep your energy levels up. Plus, by the time you get to the hospital, they kind of relegate you to popsicles and things like that for for decent enough reason. But also, you're probably going to feel nauseous at a particular time. So but having some food at home when you feel well and feel like eating is important for it's important to bring some snacks for afterwards, and for partners to bring snacks because they got to keep their energy levels up too. we got to think about them a little bit. Um, I, so I think it's really important to eat. I think it's really important to rest. Um, some things that can help. It's more about the getting things going. There's some like anecdotal evidence or sorry, I don't want to call it evidence. It's not research based, but it's anecdotal stuff that if you can kind of tilt your pelvis in different ways, it's really all about helping your body shift and move and doing lots of hip movement and keeping your pelvis open because your baby needs a nice open space. Um, and hip movement's going to help with that. They also, like we talk about in class, they basically are going to corkscrew their way out. They just have these cardinal movements, they call them, of ways that they twist and turn to get out of the pelvis and out of the body. And so you want to help support that with lots of calmer movements. So like maybe walking up and down your stairs. I'm going to wait. Let's scratch that for a second. Let's not walk up and down the stairs. But in early labor, if you have stairs in your house, I can remember like wanting something that was upstairs. I could have easily asked my husband to do it. Oh, honey, I'm in labor. Like, please, like, do it for me. But I know that the act of walking on the stairs, and even particularly if I went sideways, that that's going to get my hips a little bit off kilter. And that can actually really help the baby get into a good position. Um, there's something called curb walking. That can be done as well. So you'd be outside curb on the road. One foot is walking on the street while the other one's up on the curb. And so you're kind of walking off balance. Um, If ever I see a pregnant woman outside doing that, I know exactly what she's trying to do. Um, But it's, it's, so it's a, it is some movements that is good to do. And it's really whatever makes you feel comfortable. If any of these suggestions don't make you feel comfortable, then don't do them. But hip movements, keeping a wide pelvis and trying to relax whenever possible, I think are the best tips I could give and especially in the early labor stage. And what kind of foods are we eating? Like I'm assuming eating something spicy with like hot sauce is probably not a most ideal thing to be eating. Is it like more 
let's eat some protein. So we have that to kind of fuel us throughout the labor or is it like more carbs? Like, is there anything in particular that does really well with uh, eating in the early signs of labor? Honestly, it's really just going with what feels good to you. Um, I might say like, maybe don't have like a huge steak and like a tall glass of milk. I don't know if anyone would have those together, but like a lot of dairy or a lot of protein. Like we also want to think about after we have our baby and it really helps to actually have more fibrous foods uh, for excreting other things that we have to do afterwards. We can get into all of that, by the way. I There's like no holds bar for me. I'm just b- being cautious of your listeners. Um, but uh, back to your question. So foods to eat. I honestly, I would just like, I wanted a peanut butter and jam sandwich. I found when I was pregnant, actually, I gravitated to the foods that I really enjoyed as a kid. So that was very interesting to me. It must be a comfort thing. But whatever you feel like eating, go ahead. I would say for me, if I had something spicy, that would not be a good idea for myself. But I can't say that for everybody. Some people like they really enjoy it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But if it gives you heartburn or something like myself, like it's not the right thing to eat. So whatever you have access to that you feel like you want to eat, I feel like by all means, go for it because it's more about your energy and just having something in your body so that you can do the big work that has to be done coming up. Okay. Well, I have a question. And since you said like no bars, hold on, on it conversation. Uh, I have all the questions. Is it common for females to like, I guess for me, I was in my head. I'm like, I feel like if you're eating early, like, would that, like, would you have to use the bathroom? Like, you know, is, is it common to like poo while you're, I mean, mm-hmm. giving birth mm-hmm. and stuff. Like I imagine the idea of like pushing, and then you've eaten something a little while or a little while beforehand would lead to going. Yeah, sometimes it does. So it's definitely, I remember asking um, a friend of mine who's a labor and delivery nurse here at our hospital here at the IWK. And I asked her and her team if they could give me some stats. So I'm like, what is the percentage of people having babies that poop in the delivery room? And she was like, hmm, I don't know. That's actually a good question. Sometimes it feels like a lot and sometimes it feels like nobody's doing it. So it's almost like a 50-50 or 60-40 kind of situation. It really depends. And it's not always necessarily because you ate a couple hours previous. There was a time, I think, when maybe everybody got an enema before labor and delivery, which seems crazy to me. Let's not put us through more than we have to. But actually one of the signs of your body getting ready for labor is loose bowel movements. So early labor or sometimes right before true labor starts, you might find that you're going to the bathroom a lot, having those loose bowel movements, your body's kind of trying to get rid of stuff for the big moment so that it can just focus on that. Um, It's not diarrhea, though sometimes we tend to think, excuse me, think that it might be. But that's actually your body trying to rid itself of those things before you go into labor. Having said that, it is very possible and it could happen to anyone that while you're pushing, because we talk about the kind of pressure that you're going to feel and the kind of pushing effort you want to give, it's like having a big bowel movement almost. Um, They say that actually when nurses see that some of that is happening while mom is pushing. It's a good sign because it means you're pushing the right way. Um, you want to give it that kind of effort. 
I also have to say, full disclosure, I was definitely one of those people that pooped in the delivery room. I can even remember, this is how open book I am. I can even remember one particular, I think it was my first, first delivery. And even though I had an epidural, I was still like, it was after a bout of pushing and I was having a break in contractions and I was just kind of taking a break. And then I can remember feeling something and I, I looked to my husband like, oh my God, Oh my God, I'm pooping. I'm pooping right now. Like it just, it was just happening. And I was like, I don't know how to stop it, but, and he's just like, what, what do you mean? And the nurses are so good. They are so good at just, they clean it up right away. Like sometimes I wouldn't have even been able to tell. I always just joked with my husband, the doctor afterwards, be like, "Woo, sorry about all that poo. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Like nobody cares. Absolutely <laughs> nobody. And if you do do it, it might happen, but the nurses clean it up so quickly. So it, like, it's not like you're just sitting in a pile of your poo. Like it's really, it's, it's a fine thing to do because, well, it means you're pushing with some good effort. So yeah, that's all I have to say about the poo. Early labor or active labor, um, anything that's like, don't do this, this might start to slow it down or, uh, stop it from progressing as it should Mm, going to the hospital too early, but they even have protocols with that as well. Um, They don't want to admit you until a certain point because you will labor best in your comfort zone. Um, While it can be disheartening sometimes to like, think you're ready to be admitted. You go to the hospital, they might do an internal exam and they're like, Oh, actually like you've got some time. And unless you're looking for extra support, they might send you to walk around or send you back home and that can feel really defeating, but it's for a good purpose. And cause you will labor better in your comfort zone. I think the only other thing would be no movement, no movement at all can really stall things um, because you're just not helping your body and your baby do what it needs to do. It doesn't always do that, but it's more likely for things to stall when we're just laying in bed not doing anything and kind of having labor happen to us. So that from a just helping labor progress standpoint, but it comes to the same with like you staying comfortable, you're going to be more likely to be comfortable and help yourself through it. If you can be mobile and active in the way of like, you're walking around the room and you're trying to be upright, either standing or on a stability ball. So you're using gravity. Um, so I think that probably the worst thing you can do is what I did in my first couple of ones and just lay there and let it happen and not really doing anything to help it. It's called labor for a reason. It's hard work, but you have to kind of work with it. No, I love it so much. This has been, this is so informative. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about medical options while we're in delivery because I feel like you had made it you had opened my mind a little bit more to those possibilities and while my intention I guess while my preference has been no medical intervention I've always been like do what's best for me and baby and sometimes that might mean medical intervention. And like, you know, just off the top of my head, for example, I'm thinking, when I had thought of epidurals, I had thought, oh, like, that's going to go to the baby, the baby's going to come out kind of all all drugged up. And that was something that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. But you had talked about a couple of different options, which I don't know if they're province wide, or if it's 
mm-hmm. Canada wide, but like you had even mentioned laughing gas and I had no idea that was an option. And even today, my doula was saying, she was like, it doesn't bypass the placenta. Like it doesn't affect the baby at all. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about some of those like medical options or those pain management sure. options and really what isn't TABY? Is it totally like it, it only affects mom and like there's good reason for it? Yeah. So yes, there are differences. And uh, it is my understanding that these are offered throughout hospitals throughout the country, um, if not the exact names of them, but something similar. But first of all, oftentimes, at least I know at our hospital here, the IWK in Halifax, sometimes their first line of extra support, if you're looking for, is actually Tylenol. Tylenol is kind of like at the top of the list is this is what we'll try first. And maybe that'll help you through some parts of it. Um, the laughing gas or the nitrous oxide gas, that's readily available in all the delivery rooms. Again, I can only really speak to more so of our, our hospital here, but I, I have an understanding that it's readily available everywhere. Uh, if anybody has seen the Netflix show called The Midwife, or it's not just on Netflix, but Call the Midwife, they've, it's like going back to having midwives in the 40s and 50s and having babies and they used nitrous oxide gas quite a bit back then. Um, also disclaimer, if you have not watched that show and you are pregnant, wait till after the baby before you check it out. (laughs) Um, Noted. There's some great episodes, but there's some, you know, not some that you don't need to watch right now. Um, but so, so all of these things have been used in labor and delivery for long periods of time and are very safe to use. And the nitrous oxide gas, like your doula said, it's not crossing the placenta so that it's not getting to your baby. The only effects that it has is the very short term effects of as you're breathing it in, it kind of makes you feel like, um, like you're getting up in the clouds a little bit. Like we're just like, ah, things feel a little bit lighter. If you can kind of assume it's called laughing gas, um, it, you're not going to be sitting there giggling next necessarily. But what it tends to do, what a lot of people say that it does, is it will take the edge off of the contraction. So as your contraction starts and it climbs and it peaks, that it can kind of round those edges out a little bit. It's around that peaking point that it just feels like it's a little bit easier to manage. Not everybody likes the nitrous oxide gas or the way it makes them feel. The person who is taking it in, the laboring mama, she's going to be the one holding the mask or the mouthpiece because if you take in too much, you can faint. But you would never let yourself get to that point. Um, I I can remember feeling that at one point because I was having a really strong contraction. It was lasting a long time and I'm heavily breathing in this nitrous oxide gas and then eventually starting to feel like, oh, I'm kind of getting lightheaded now. Like it's not making me feel good anymore. So I take that mask away, you breathe in the fresh air and then you just come back down to earth. And that was it. So that can be a really helpful tool because it's readily available in all the rooms and you can use it at any point in your labor. You can use it the whole time. You can use it not at all, but it's there. Um, On the flip side of that, there are some narcotics that are available and it really depends on the type of narcotic and how far into your labor and delivery that you are um, of which one might be offered to you at a certain point. Uh, For instance, there's morphine, which will be in your system for close to four hours. So that is kind of off the table for most people. If they're looking for support for pain, extra support for pain relief, going into the hospital around and being admitted at like five, six centimeters, because they could conceivably have their baby within that time. 
and narcotics suppress our respiratory system and it'll do the same for the baby. So wanting to make sure that baby's not under that influence at the time. So they're really careful about when and what they would recommend if you're asking for extra support. Epidurals are definitely by far the most commonly used, what we hear most about when it comes to labor and delivery rates here at our hospital, a teaching hospital, and many teaching hospitals will have higher rates of things like interventions, C-sections, epidurals. Um, So they're quite high, especially for those having their first baby. Um, But you know, you're, so you're kind of in good company. They do a lot of them. They do them very safely, but it can take some time to get it administered. Cause by the time you ask for it, you need an anesthesiologist and a team to help you get it. Uh, whereas something like their narcotics or, um, the nitrous oxide gas, they're just readily available and can get them upon request. Um, epidurals, it depends if there could be a list of other moms laboring that need it first because they asked for it first, or maybe they're in the OR for a C-section. So I've talked about in class how for myself personally, I remember having to wait an hour from when I wanted one to when I got one. And by the time you want one too, you wanted it like yesterday, (laughs) you were ready for it yesterday. Um, And so it can be sometimes challenging to how do you work with those contractions in that timeframe while you're waiting for that extra support. And again, that's why we get into a lot of the things we do in our classes, because you want to feel supported, whether it's, and that's, I guess that's how I have to approach it as the educator as well. Some people are coming into classes like yourself, Megan, where you're like, you know what, I'd love to know as much as I can about how to help myself and how my partner can help me. Because maybe my goal is to do it intervention free, drug free. And that's awesome. But then there's other people coming in that are like, tell me how soon can I get the extra support for pain meds? How long do I have to do this myself? Like, I want, and then there's all the in between. So I like to prepare families for the possibility of you might want something and, or you might not, you can change your mind anytime. You kind of have to see what is happening in the moment. So we can prepare ourselves for all we want. And I think that's so important and having kind of a guide of what you would like to have happen. But of course, understanding that, Hey, if you didn't sleep for a couple of days before you went into labor, And now you're in labor and you're just exhausted and X, Y, and Z are also happening. That epidural might actually sound kind of great to you. And so I try to make it seem that it's not like a pass fail system. It's not, I agree with you. That was kind of my first thought when I was having my baby. It's like, well, I've been trying this whole time not to give my baby drugs. Let's try not to do it in labor too. But it's not your baby's going to be fine. They will be absolutely fine. In fact, if I tell you about my three kids, the one that I didn't, that didn't get any drugs in labor, she's the crazy one. So they're really fine. It's more about what kind of support do you need to get through what you're going through. So you got to kind of have to take that as it comes. I will say I listened to someone else talk about their experience having an epidural with their children and her mindset was she wanted to be as relaxed as she possibly could be she wanted to not be like screaming or yelling she didn't want the baby to be brought into a chaotic space and she felt that the epidural would help her be as calm as possible and when she spun it that way I was like that makes a lot of sense and even though I still my hope is not to do that 
I can really appreciate that side of the coin. And I'm like, wow, that like that really opened my mind to uh, uh, that p- possibility. And it takes away, I think, the. I don't want to say like the failure, but like like if I had to do that, I'm not going in with the mindset of like, oh, like I thought I could do it and I I couldn't do it. I needed the epidural. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's, we just like switch the mindset of to the space we're creating for ourselves and for babies. So that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when you talked about it in class, I was like, oh, I just feel like that. It just opens the mind a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, previous prenatal classes that that I've been to and that have heard about or when public health was offering them and don't mean to like bash it or anything because it was still like it's something and it's helpful um but we weren't taught like the ways to stay comfortable and we weren't taught and and they themselves would kind of say like ideally you would be doing it without because why would you do drugs like we're not doing drugs you know what I mean um But I, I really try to come at it with a non-judgmental approach. And I don't know where people are at along their journey um, or how they're feeling about their pregnancy or labor and delivery. So I'm just trying to give the information as it stands and letting people feel like they can make those decisions in the moment. And the mindset, as you put it, Megan, is really probably the biggest difference that I would say between my labors where I was needing all the support versus I felt like I had more control is that those other two labors that I had, the first two, I felt like labor was happening to me. I wasn't, I was just there and it was like hitting, those contractions would come and they'd hit me like a wave crashing on me. And I was just struggling to like take a breath and like deal with it. So that's how the contractions kept feeling to me because I'm laying in bed and not doing anything about it and just thinking the whole time, oh my gosh, when is this one going to be over? Oh my gosh, this hurts. Oh my gosh. So I felt like I was being tortured by it. And that's not what we want to have happen in labor and delivery. You should try to feel relaxed. You should feel like you're able to work with your labor and delivery. And sometimes the epidural allows us to relax and to feel more in tune with our labor and delivery. So that's why it's not necessarily for everyone, but it could be a helpful piece depending on, again, where you're at. I would love to ask you about some and you had brought a few of them up already, but maybe like we can like condense it into this quote unquote category is like ideas of pain management, because like you even said, sometimes even if we're getting the epidural, it could be a period of time before we actually get it and the pain is not going away. So what are some things that we can do that will help us deal with the pain management or give us that kind of boost of like, okay, we, we've got this, we can do this. Mm. I mean, staying, staying mobile. If you feel healthy and well enough to be like walking around your room in between contractions, being upright, using the bed as a prop, as opposed to like a place to stay, which it is there for. And sometimes we need those breaks and sometimes we're confined to the bed for some reason. So even in those cases, what are some ways that you can move your body or change positions every once in a while? It's not going to be with every contraction. It's hard to move a lot of times and change up what you're doing. But just getting up to go to the bathroom might dilate you a centimeter. If you're doing a lot of stuff on the stability ball and sitting, let's try standing and leaning over something now and getting support that way. So I think what can really help is having some mobility uh, and so that you're able to move and help yourself through those contractions. 
focusing on your breathing is huge. So we did this ice exercise in class where we were just holding some ice in our hands in a bag and just told to deal with it until I said, stop. And then we did it again, but we did a breathing exercise with it the second time. And generally speaking, most people after that experience, and they're holding the ice in either hand for the same amount of time, but when they're focused on their breathing for the second one, almost everybody says like, oh, I felt like it went by a little bit faster. And that's exactly the goal is that can it feel like you're dealing with it better? Can it feel like it's going by faster? Because those contractions are going to stay at about a minute or a minute and a half and they're going to last that long. But if it feels like we're coping better and it's going by faster, that's the goal. So bombarding your senses with different things that it's kind of tricking your brain. It's telling your brain that there's something else to focus on. And that helps to distract it. So we talked about how just breathing can do that and focusing on your breath. Uh, we've talked about the TENS machine, which is used a lot of times in physiotherapy appointments, uh, can be safely used for labor and delivery. Um, I was using one last night on my just old sore back, not in labor <laughs> or anything, but it made me think that, oh my God, I feel like I'm going back into labor but where it's sending a different signals, little kind of tingly needle point kind of massage that's telling your brain that something else is going on. Uh, if you didn't have a TENS unit, you can get like a plastic comb from your partner's beard kit or your other kids like doll stuff or whatever and squeeze the comb into your hand while you're having a contraction, distracting your brain from what else is going on because it helps it go by a lot faster. Um, other things would say like, having the lighting in the room, how you want it. If you want it nice and dim and calm, then go for it. If you want more bright lights, then go for it. They definitely have those at the hospital. Um, music, you bring a speaker or have your AirPods in or headphones or whatever, and listen to some music while you're contracting. Some people like to listen to more calming music. Other people want the eye of the tiger, like <laughs> welcome to the jungle, kind of stuff to pump you up. Um, but either way, all of those things, imagine if your partner's doing, imagine your partner's doing some counter pressure behind you on your hips and you are focused on your breathing. You maybe have a tens machine on your back or you're holding a comb or something in your hand for a different kind of stimulation. You've got your favorite music playing. The lights are the way you want them and you're moving through your contractions and your, your head space is more of my cervix is opening, or I'm just going to breathe through this as opposed to like, oh God, it's happening. It's hitting me. It's all of the things. So the more you bombard your senses helps you to be in kind of that mind space. And so hopefully that will get you through enough. And of course, that's the best thing about about labor is it's not like breaking your arm. It's not a pain that's continuously happening. You will get breaks. And so optimizing on those breaks, being well hydrated, that's when partners are allowed to talk to you again and maybe give you a hug <laughs> or, or a gentle touch. We want that in between contractions. So uh, bombarding the senses, trying to uh, have more of that going on, I think is really key to distracting you from what's really happening. <laughs> Yeah, no, it all makes so much sense. And I did a post a little while ago on my stories of things that I've been doing in my pregnancy. It's one of the things I've done is, and I want to be clear, my doctor was like, not gung ho about it. But I've been continuing to do my cold showers. And 
the way that I had looked at it is I've been doing them already. It's not like I got pregnant and started to do the cold showers. Uh, I've been doing them for about a year at this point. And it, it's helping me to be uncomfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. And yeah, I don't know. It's just this mindset of like, okay, like it's not going to be a walk in the park. Nobody loves to do a cold shower, but like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's over in three minutes and stuff too. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I personally have found like, it's been really helpful uh, for me during my pregnancy and stuff. And when I, I posted those, like my thought process on it, there was a lot of people that were like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, like hopefully labor is as smooth as it can be, but I also imagine it's not going to be a walk in the park. Right. So we got to learn to be a little bit uncomfortable with, Uh, things that are pushing us out of our comfort zone. Absolutely. I love that you do the cold showers. I'm a cold dipper myself. Uh, I can't do the showers though. Cold showers, I cannot. I find it so much harder than making a hole in the ice in the middle of winter. And getting in that, I would much prefer to do that. But that's exactly the kind of breathing and focus that I talk about and teach in our prenatal class. I do the very same thing when I'm going into one degree water for a couple of minutes, that initial shock to the system, like those contractions that are nice and strong now and kind of shock you to like, it makes you want to hold your breath and it gets you all tense up in your shoulders and just your whole body tenses up. So that's why you have to actually actively focus on relaxing. You have to actively think about your breathing because you're going to be so focused on the contraction and the pain that you're going to get tense and you're not going to breathe. And the same thing happens, I'm sure, when you take a cold shower, as well as when you're going in that cold ocean water, it shocks you. But if you can start breathing through it, and then you kind of are like, oh, wait, I think I'm dealing with this. (laughs) Actually, okay. It really is surprising how much we have inside of ourselves to be able to deal with that. So that's probably really prepping you quite a bit for, for what's to come. I think so. My doctor was like, I'm not sure that I love this. I'm like, I'm not cold plunging it at like, you know, zero degrees or anything. It's a cold shower, but I explained it and she's like, I get it. Like it, like she just didn't seem like she was like super enthusiastic about it, but I kept doing it anyways. (laughs) And you're healthy and your baby's doing well and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. So we're just sticking with it. What are some things that maybe a new mom who's just given birth might not expect or was told about when, you know, baby is here, baby's placed on you, maybe those first few hours, days or weeks, like what are some unexpected things that new moms may want to know about? Hmm. Okay. So I I think the first thing, because of once baby is out, And hopefully they're skin to skin with you. They usually are for unless medically necessary for a good hour um, is what I I think the most uncomfortable thing from not having had an epidural or anything with my third delivery was the fundal massage uh, where they, a nurse is going to vigorously massage the top of your uterus, which is called the fundus, which is kind of around your belly button by the time baby is out. So you're up here kind of just meeting your little one and being in that joy and contractions are over. But then here comes a nurse to like really basically knead bread on your stomach. And that can be really uncomfortable. Um, I remember thinking like, could I get an epidural for this part? That would be great. Uh, but I think it's important to know that that is going to happen. 
but you can also tell your nurse that like if they're go- doing it too much or you need a break, you can tell them to stop. And they're doing it for good reason, um, but it can be pretty uncomfortable. So I think having a heads up about that is helpful. It really depends on the person and how much they know, but having a heads up about the bleeding and the amount of bleeding that you may notice in those first couple of hours, days, weeks, even, um, it's kind of a lot. I remember somebody telling me it was like a heavy period, but I wanted to say it was more like a murder scene for like it was, and I'm trying not to say, I wouldn't say that in prenatal class. So I'm saying it here for you, Megan. Um, it's, it's a lot, but again, your nurses are keeping tabs on that. They're making sure you're not bleeding too much and they're going to make sure that you go home and give you some guidelines on, on all that stuff. But it's just kind of a things that weren't necessarily expected, but are definitely going to happen. What else could there be? I I think it could be important to know that, again, I can only really speak to our hospital here. I feel like there's probably some similarities wherever you go because they're busy. And uh, on the fifth floor here, the family newborn unit, where you stay with your baby for a day or two, depending on the type of delivery you've had, um, the nurses up there are very busy. They're really good at their jobs. They're really lovely people. But depending on the day and there could be all kinds of babies being had and they are the nurse for the mom and the baby. So they have double the patients in each room and they've got a few rooms and other people to get to. So sometimes you get really great support on that floor. And sometimes it's maybe lacking because of the lack of time that they have, not because they're not good at what they do. So it can be hard to realize that like, a lot is on you to find people and places and groups to feel connected, to feel less isolated, to feel like you're getting good information. We got to find the people to do that in advance. So you already have a doula. They are so fantastic to work with because they know the birth scene and the postpartum scene. So there are postpartum doulas as well. Uh, it would be my goal in life if somehow we can make it happen that everybody has some postpartum doula or that extra support because it's not offered. Not here. There are some hospitals even in other parts of Nova Scotia that have awesome like open clinics that you can go to, but sadly we don't have any here. So it really depends on where you are, where you're having your baby what's going to be available to you. But I still think that it's kind of on us to really find those people in places for the postpartum period, whether it has to do with your own physical recovery or emotional recovery. And I think that would be the other thing I would say that a lot of people aren't really prepared for. Um, And I try to talk about more and more in prenatal and in those early stages that how common it is to struggle with mental health after having a baby, whether it's something that's diagnosed and needs some medication is one thing, but just the general struggle of new parenthood and all that, like you're saying, your mom, like we just had, it was just all looked differently so long ago that now we're kind of stuck in our homes. We're feeling like we're the only ones going through certain things. Um, even if you happen to know other people with babies and stuff, it's just a very individual, like, but it, that's not my situation. So how do I help myself and what's going on? Why do I feel like this all of a sudden? Um, And so that emotional, physical recovery piece, I think is good to get a heads up on because those can be kind of a 
a bit of a kick in the teeth if if it happens um, after having a baby. I will say you and I were talking privately before and I was saying, you know, like, yes, I'm a little nervous about labor because it's my first time and I don't haven't done this rodeo yet. But like for me, my it's not even like nervousness. I just I guess I worry the most about like postpartum because, yeah, I've had friends who have had like horrific postpartum and I will say I listened to you did a podcast with a doctor out here on postpartum hormones and Mm -hmm. everything she was saying makes total like it makes sense but I can also appreciate in the moment you know you're not sleeping very well so you're sleep deprived you're probably not thinking about eating at all and if you are it's probably not good healthy nutritious food you're like I just got to get something into the to the belly to eat and you know, she was saying, like, really focus on nutrition. And like, I think the sleep thing is probably the biggest one. And I remember a few people talking about how they had the opportunity to hire night nurses and how they felt so guilty about that. And I'm like, man, if if that was available to everyone, like if you could afford to do it, why wouldn't you Mm. do it? Because you have to be functioning at your best self for 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 the baby and for yourself and for your partner and stuff like I don't think there's anything to be guilty about that if I had the opportunity to hire a night nurse I would in a heartbeat absolutely uh and they I don't necessarily hear the term night nurse as much anymore but postpartum doulas will do that as well they they're basically the night nurse um and they or they maybe they come in the morning after you've had a rough night so that you can get a good nap and they can make sure the baby's doing fine um, and so, yes, I 100% agree with you. We definitely need more of that. But if you don't have access to that um, or the ability to to have somebody like that, thinking about it in advance. So what what would be those things that a support person like a doula or night nurse would do for you? So they can prepare meals. So how, can you prepare some meals and put them in your freezer? Uh, maybe not just meals, but one-handed snacks. Love me some one-handed snacks because almost everything is done one-handed now. Um, so preparing meals or get yourself going with HelloFresh or, you know, you're doing the DoorDash or something like you want to make sure you're eating well. So think about how can I best do that when I'm so busy um, and preparing in advance for that. I like to talk about uh, somebody else that I've had on my podcast, Wendy McCallum. Uh, we did an episode uh, in on season one called Taking Care of You. And she talks about, she's kind of a burnout balance coach, women's burnout coach. And she talks about how our, our each of our individual wellness is like this concrete slab. And what's holding up this concrete slab are four pillars. So we have sleep, we have nutrition, we have movement or exercise, and we have self-care or stress management, like those things that we do for ourselves to feel good. So we know when we're going to have a baby that that sleep pillar is going to take a hit. There's no question that baby's going to be hungry a lot and that's going to take a hit. We're not going to sleep quite the same for a little while. So that pillar is going to crack or maybe even crumble. It's going to be shaky. So how can we build up these other pillars strong enough that we don't feel as off balance? Because once one pillar goes, if another pillar goes and then another one's getting cracked, we're feeling off and it can feel like overwhelming too much. We don't even know where to start to get back on track. So we know that sleep pillar is going to take a hit. Let's bump up the nutrition. So let's think about the food that we're going to want to eat after having a baby, the snacks, or can we get our neighbors to do a meal train? 
So once a night, everybody's going to come around with some food for us. Um, I always say when people call to come over to want to visit the baby, visitors can wait till later. If they're coming over early, they should be helpers. They should be, what do you need? Don't say, oh, nothing. Just come over. Then you're going to ask them if they want some coffee when they come over. No, 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 no. These people need to be taking care of you. You're taking care of the baby. So, oh, could you pick up our groceries that we ordered on your way by? Or I'm really craving some candy. Could you get some of that? Like they want to help. So don't be afraid to ask for it. Um, so that's on that food pillar, the self-care stress management, that pillar often takes a hit because now sometimes it's hard enough to do on our own, but now we have a little baby to look after. And so that one can often take a hit because we do forget about that very easily. And the movement or exercise, well, first of all, you need to get the go ahead for exercise first. So at least six weeks, if not longer. And so that's uh, dealt with with your doctor or other health professionals you're seeing, but just movement in terms of especially if you've had a C-section, but just getting up and walking around your house a little bit more, certainly taking lots of breaks and resting. But when you do feel well, to go outside, get some fresh air, even if it's by the time now it's four o'clock, I'm still in my pajamas. What have I even done today? Just go outside on the front step for some vitamin D from that sun and some fresh air. And that could really just uh, give you a, a little refresh but a little bit of walking, a little bit of gentle movement when you're feeling well and are capable of doing that is also going to help. So anytime something's going to take a hit, I mean, sometimes the postpartum doulas are going to help with that sleep pillar because they can come in overnight or they can come in during the day and you can nap. So that's how you're going to focus on that one. But it's just kind of keeping tabs on those four things and knowing if you know in advance something's going to take a hit, try to bump up those other ones to make them stronger. Or if several of them start taking a hit, I think understanding that it's normal and it can happen and we all can't be on top of our game 100% all of the time. But that's where I find community comes into play. That's where I find that when you, after you have a baby, finding people, like-minded people, new people, other people that have babies that have gone through similar things that they can say like, okay, they get it. Or they didn't go through exactly the same thing, but I know they kind of understand where I'm at. Like there's nothing to be said for that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Ashley, I feel like I could keep talking to you forever about this topic and about, you know, everything to do with birth baby and sleep afterwards. But uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you that either you want to let the audience know about or like a tip in any of these categories that you have found really invaluable in your own journey and that you want to leave with potentially new moms and new moms in Mm. general? Yeah, I think just when it comes to the amount of information and opinions that we all get, sometimes we're looking for it because we're Googling and we just want to know, uh, but sometimes we're not looking for it and everybody has an opinion and says, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do this. And we don't always know as new parents how to take that, right? Especially if it's from a well-meaning loved one or I don't know, it's it can be hard to not only sift through the information to find what's going to work best for you and your family, but also to navigate other people's opinions and things that maybe they think you should be doing or differently. Um, So that stuff can be hard to navigate. So I think if you can find good quality information, or if you can find some certain people to follow that 
you know is giving good information and that is going to be supportive on your journey, no matter if it's with an epidural or without, or no matter if you do sleep training or not, or if you breastfeed or bottle feed, like you want somebody that's supporting you and what you need. Cause ultimately what your baby needs is a healthy, happy parent. That's number one. So if that is formula feeding instead of breastfeeding, cause that's been really hard for you then do it because you'll be happier and therefore your baby will be too. And now we have a good positive cycle going. So think about what you need and don't forget about yourself in this journey. That is one thing I feel like I've talked to a couple of people about like a girlfriend of mine recently just had a baby and she was saying how inundated and overwhelmed she was with advice and opinions and like what to do's and I will say for me, I mean, I'm still in this, so it's not like I'm an expert by any means, but I've, I have one book, my do, I have my doula, my doula recommended your podcast. I did your class. I have not felt the urge to be inundated by everything. I don't want to hear everybody's opinions. I don't want to know all the things like I have found that just focusing on a few key people and resources in my life has been astronomical because it's like anything to do with like health and wellness right like drink a cup of coffee a day drink five cups of coffee a day don't drink any coffee a day eat eggs don't eat egg like you can find Mm -hmm. an opinion on on anything and I think finding just like a few key resources and people has been for me a blessing I think because I'm not overwhelmed by everything that's out there and I'm like no this is the route that we're going and you know be open and stuff but I feel like like even I was saying with your classes, I feel like you opened my mind up to a few other things that I hadn't potentially thought about or in my head, I was like, no, I don't want to do any like medical interventions. And it's like, you know what, I might be okay now if that's needed for me and baby and stuff. So Mm. if people want to follow you online, I know you do offer if nobody is in Nova Scotia, you do do the virtual offerings. But Where can people go and find you online? Where can they take classes? Where can they find your podcast? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, uh, I'm all over the place a little bit. Mostly my website, birthbabysleep.ca. I'm on Facebook and Instagram uh, at birth underscore baby underscore sleep. I think if you just do the search for birth baby sleep, it'll come up. Um, And I have my own podcast called Bringing Up Baby. And that was was my COVID baby. (laughs) That was what... I started doing or realized that I thought I needed to do because, I mean, of course, we all know when that happened, everything was shut down. And so the lack of resources were then a million fold because now no one's coming into your home and we can't get that support. So that's what I try to do with the podcast and with our offerings. So we have uh, virtual and in-person prenatal classes. So the in-person, we're obviously in Halifax, but you can take them virtually from anywhere. We sometimes have people from Ontario, PEI, New Brunswick. We had someone from British Columbia one time. The timing was a little bit off for them, but uh, we still get access to our virtual content. You can even do our classes uh, totally kind of on your own, self-directed, I call it. So we have all of our classes and additional resources and information all on birthbabysleep.ca with a login and password and stuff. So you can even kind of take that information and do it on your own time. Uh, but we do sleep consulting. We have uh, a bringing up baby, not only the podcast, but a membership as well. So that, again, is one of those places where you can get lots of support. 
I'm trying to make the village to bring the village to people <laughs> is really where what it, I think it all comes down to. Um, so the podcast, you can grab it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us all at birthbabysleep.ca and at birthbabysleep on Instagram and Facebook. Amazing. I will make sure everything is linked in the show notes. Ashley, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks, Megan. If you love this podcast episode, spread the love by sharing this with your friends and family, share it out on social media, and don't forget to give it a five-star rating and review. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful that you are here. Until next time.